Welcome swimmers and swammers. I'm today's host, Garrett McCaffrey. Our guest today has been named to multiple USA Swimming International coaching staffs and her team, the Aqua Jets, has earned seven silver and five gold medals in USA Swimming's Club Excellence program. She's Kate Lunston, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time today. It's a blessing to be here. So uh, I was starting to tell you before we started recording that I, uh, going into winter juniors down in Austin this year, um, had a, a very short list and you're at the top of my list of coaches I wanted to lock down to talk to on the podcast. And the way it turned out was not exactly how I planned as I'm stepping down off of a step onto the uh, slippery deck there at University of Texas. Um, I almost oh. cracked my head open. Oh. I caught it and you were so kind to tell me good catch. <laughs> and all of a sudden we were talking and I was like, all right, this isn't the introduction I was thinking, but hi, I'm Garrett. Will you be on the Swim Swam podcast? So I'm so It was a good introduction. Out. You really made a great entrance. <laughs> I could see your athletic ability just from that fall. It was quite incredible. I wish everyone could have seen it. It was oh, really good. You, were too you did a great job. I'm sure it was not something that people would be <laughs> impressed with. Anyway. <laughs> Um, let's talk about your athletic ability a little bit. I kind of wanted to start. I've got a lot of questions. I want to get to a lot of stuff here today, but I wanted to start with Kate, the swimmer. Um, how did you get into competitive swimming? I guess is the first question. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I was raised on a lake. It was called Christmas Lake. I lived on a point. So there was lake, there's water on all sides. And so my uh, parents knew right away, we had to figure out how to swim so I literally was raised with a life jacket on the moment I could walk. And my my neighborhood buddy pulled me out of the water several times with my life jacket on. But eventually I learned how to swim. My brother started competitive swimming and then he got me into it when I was about 12. And then he quit and then I, I kept doing it. Why'd you keep doing it? Uh, I don't know because I had several coaches that said I probably shouldn't have swum. I should have done a different sport. I did not have a good feel for the water. Everything I got and accomplished in swimming was absolutely brute strength and just working my butt off. That's, 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 a, I really couldn't hold the water well at all. I wasn't that good. <laughs> But you were good. I mean, you went on to, you know, Division Three National Championships, a bunch of uh, records in college. Um, I, and so I guess you kind of just answered this, but uh, was it anything else other than just grit that got you um, the success you earned in swimming? I think it was just grit, really. It wasn't, you know, to be really super successful, there is a bit of that talent plus hard work. But, uh, you know, there has to be that that the ability to hold the water. I just didn't have that. So it was really just grit. So yeah, anybody could be a swimmer. That's what I tell my kids all the time. Anybody could be a swimmer. <laughs> that is a powerful perspective as a coach. Yeah. Looking back on, on your coaches um, at the time, what did they get right? Oh, they were really good. I think uh, they were ahead of their times in their, in the way they coached. I didn't have many coaches. I had about three, four maybe, but uh, cause yeah, they were, they were 
great at their technique even. And back then we did a lot more yards, you know, we kind of put your head down and just go, but they were communicative, communicative to us. They were, they were good coaches. So I think they got it right where I enjoyed swimming a whole lot. Every time I swam, I just enjoyed it. I really loved the sport. My parents tried to get me out. Even the coaches said, Hey, there's, you got a better sport than this, but I don't know. I just stayed in it. <laughs> yeah, obviously they did instill a passion because it's still with you today. Um, yeah. If you look back and I'm just curious as, you know, looking at the way things develop and we'll talk about a lot of different angles of development here, but um, is there anything you look at and they made you do that just seems silly at this point? Things that well, they got wrong? Well, I don't want to diss them on here, but anyway, <laughs> I, you know, I guess I don't ever, I hardly ever go 10, 500s with my swimmers anymore. That was just, that was something we did. You know, it wasn't anything that unusual <laughs> back then. You literally just put your face down and you go, Right. And that's how we all did it. So we didn't think it was that that weird. But that's the attention fair. span today is about, you know, 10 seconds. So you just don't, I don't do that kind of stuff with my swimmers anymore. Yep. I think that's totally fair. I don't think coaches would look at that as a diss. That's just the way that the sport has developed. Right. Um, at Hamlin, where you had all that success as a swimmer, you also majored in art. Um, okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What What kind of art do you specialize in? Well, that's really good. <laughs> I specialized in art. Chuck Bachelor and I, there's a lot of coaches out there with art majors. And we've all come to the conclusion we're coaches because we were art majors. <laughs> and uh, there's just not a lot of jobs out there for art majors. Um, and I specialized, I, at that time I was in photography and illustration. Then I went into children's art um, and did woodworking, painting, that kind of stuff. I tried to make a living as an artist and that failed big time. And so I started coaching, which was a great move for me. How does art fit into your life these days? Are you still doing any kind of work in that area? Very little. I do very little artwork, you know, and I, I, I'll pick it up once in a while, but I don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of artwork. No. Like you said, a lot of coaches uh, come to the sport from being an art major. I think there's also um, a, something to be said of the art of coaching. Uh, how is coaching art? Well, I do think, I mean, you know, what 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 is art? It could be acting. It could be drawing. It could be however you look at it. And And I do think as coaches, we are on stage a lot with our kids, right? So... We're trying to make it fun. Uh, we're trying to get them through it. We're trying to be motivators. So I guess there is an art in that uh, of just showing up and being there for these kids every day. I, I couldn't agree more. As mm -hmm. a broadcast journalism major, which is a little more rare in coaching, I believe, right. uh, that was what I felt. I felt like I was in front of the camera for kids or right. for athletes, mm -hmm. you know, for two to four hours a day. And that immediate feedback was something very rewarding. But I completely mm -hmm. agree. It's almost like being performative on stage, making yeah. sure that you're picking your words in an engaging way. Right. I was thinking more like, how you write sets and stuff. Does it play into that side of it at all? Um, 
uh, oh, gee, I, I was basically a cartoonist. So, <laughs> you know, when I first started, I did a lot of cartoons on the board, the whiteboards. But, um, you know, is artistic view. I don't know if the kids would think uh, my practices are very artistic at all. But uh, uh, I, I don't I don't that's I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question, to be honest. I think that's a fair answer. I think that's a fair answer. I was just trying to, uh, you know, I sometimes think of it, you know, instead of following science, you know, I'm kind of trying to piece together how I think it would, you know, be presented best. Like sometimes I'm trying to make my sets so the pattern is there or, right. you know, those type of things. Would you say that coaching then is more science than art? I think it's a combination. I mean, I've always been on the, uh, I, I I guess not the science side, but I've started bringing that in where, you know, doing a lot more heart rate stuff and all that kind of stuff the last 10 years. So I, I think it is a combination. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Can you break that down into percentages? How much is it art? How much is it science? Oh, boy. I wish I could say 50-50, but I, I don't know. Some days it's 50-50, some days it's 80-20, some, some days it's 100% art and that. I don't think I've ever been 100% science because I get distracted way too easy. I mean, really too easy. So uh, I would be probably more on the arty side. Same. I'm in the exact same yeah. boat where you know yeah. I, I hear something a coach is doing that makes a lot of sense to me, and I'll dive into that pretty deep. I do do um, too then. That's exactly how I do Let's transition away from the art, because as you said, your swimmers probably wouldn't think of your sets as art all the time. How, how would your swimmers describe you as a coach, do you think? Uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, you, you said the questions were easy, man. <laughs> That's not easy. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, they, I think it's, um, we have a good time. I mean, I, I'm hard. I mean, they, they know that I'm a hard coach and no one believes that, but I, I do yell. I'm hopefully in a gentle way. They know I always love them. That is one thing. They always know I have the best for them, but if they're not doing it right, I had to have another coach settle me down yesterday. Um, Leah, who's just an incredible woman. Uh, she's been with me for years and years. And she said, Kate, it's all okay. It's a Monday. New Year's just happened because I was just like frustrated with the way they were training yesterday. And, uh, it, you know, I do need that sometimes because I get so wrapped into it. And I don't want to be so wrapped into it that I forget that that kids are kids and they had New Year's. And now I have them training today. So. So it's good to know. But I, you know, I, I guess there is a demand side, but they know that in two seconds, we're going to have some fun and laugh a lot. So hopefully that's what they say. I'm a really good whistler too. That's it. That's a, <laughs> that is a very <laughs> underrated coaching skill. I've oh, been trying so and I'm really having trouble. I'm sticking all these fingers trying to yeah, figure yeah. it out. Uh, hopefully eventually I can, uh, I can get there. Um, can we talk just a little bit more about that? I think that's fascinating. And I definitely have those moments where I don't feel like an athlete is engaged in what we're presenting as an opportunity as they should be. And mm -hmm. 
especially an athlete who might, you know, at a meet, you know, act like it's really important, but then at practice consistently does not. And I, you know, sometimes think of myself as more of a carrot coach than a stick coach. Um, but sometimes I also feel like there needs to be some accountability done in a way that can, can reach them. And it sounds like, and obviously based on your results, you have that ability to redirect or to correct. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you approach that and how the kids react to that? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, example, if you're putting a setup on the, on the whiteboard or however you do it or explain it to the kids, if you're saying, you know, you're going to go, yeah, 300 freestyle and you're going to go two, two, three breath, three dolphin kicks, no, no breath off the turns. Um, and then you're going to go into 475's pull and whatever, 350's, whatever. doesn't matter. You're expecting to see that. So yesterday, I didn't see the three dolphin kicks. I saw no dolphin kicks off the wall. I saw, I saw hardly streamline off the wall. So they start again. And I stop them. I think it, they were doing a 500. But I stop them and, and just, you know, what are you doing? I, I expect this you're doing this. And, you know, I know some were crying their goggles, whatever, but they got over it. It all worked out. (laughs) They did it right the next time. (laughs) That is one that really gets me because, you know, whether I I do a lot of stroke count and kick count work, but I can always see the kick count. I can't count everybody's stroke. Right. Always just stand at the wall and watch if they're kicking and the number of them that sometimes miss that. I can completely relate. I can completely relate. And yeah, it's, it's an effective tactic because the next time after they've already done one 500, they don't want to do three. So <laughs> it is a very effective tactic. It is. Um, I've also, you know, just kind of been listening to some of the the talks that you've done and, and conversations that you've had. And, and a theme that comes up often is that you try as a coach to ask questions to your athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completely, uh, you know, envy and and respect that approach. I think it is, you know, a way to get them engaged in the process, which they definitely want these days. Um, Can you talk just a little bit more about how you use questions to, uh, to coach your athletes? Yeah, I think that is where coaching has changed so much. I mean, really, I, I've been coaching for some 20, some years, I'm sure. But, you know, back in the day, you just told them what to do. And you would explain, you know, you want your fingertips here or whatever it was. But nowadays, I just don't coach like that anymore. And I, and because maybe they know a lot more because of Google or, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure, but I want them to be smart swimmers. And if you're telling them all the time what to do, and I coach older kids, so I'm not talking nine and 10 year olds, but, you know, if you, you're telling them, what to do all the time, they don't, first of all, they don't take ownership for themselves. And so they go off to college and oftentimes quit. Um, and second of all, uh, they don't understand. They're just doing it because you told them to do it. So when you start asking them questions like, you know, uh, I, I um, what did I ask a, a girl the other day? She was talking to me I, we were talking about tempo in her backstroke. And I said, well, tell me, tell me what about your tempo? And she was telling me like her, her, her stroke rate, what it, it, it is best at. 
And, you know, we just had this conversation and I kept asking her questions until we came to the conclusion and you can't do it all the time. You know, I had time with her, but you can't do that. You have five seconds, most most kids in between sets. But I do ask them a quick question until they can kind of come to that conclusion themselves. And sometimes they can't. And oftentimes I'll say, you need to figure it out. You need to figure out if you're faster on your side, dolphin kick on your back, dolphin kick or on your stomach. You have to figure that out yourself. I can't tell you. I can tell you what it looks like, but you need. So I give them that that job as well. So I ask them questions and I give them jobs to do. I think it's a very powerful approach, but at some point there has to be teaching as well, right? Right. So how do you do that piece? And like you said, sometimes it feels like we only have five seconds in between sets to talk to the kids um, and you're trying to make sure you take advantage. I know I am always trying to make sure we get the pool time in that we can. So it's not, you know, an option to just sit and have a conversation before practice every day. So when it comes to teaching of technique to, you know, present an opportunity like, hey, some people are really good at kicking dolphin kick on their side. Like you said, when, when do you get to teach in your practice or in your season? So, I mean, in we have an incredible staff and we have coaches. I'm not the only coach on the pool deck. So I have a staff members that will look at this freestyle and pull them out and talk to the kids. But I think what I do generally, we'll just go to the dolphin kicks because okay, we know how important dolphin kicks are in, in yards. And I have some kids that just are terrible at dolphin kicks. I do believe with flexibility, they can get better. I really believe I've seen a kid go from not a good dolphin kicker to a really good dolphin kicker because she's really worked on her flexibility. But I guess what we're always trying to do, and I always say to the general kids when we're there, okay, the goal on this, the focus on this set is keeping the momentum going. Off the wall, how can I keep that speed, which is, we know, the second fastest place you're going to be on that race. How can we keep that speed going as long and fast as we can? Well, you can't start off with a slow dolphin kick because it's going to slow you down. Or you can't, you know, how are you going to push off the wall? How are you going to keep it up going through the breakout? And I, as a coach, we can look and say, you lost your momentum, right? We can see that. So they're breaking out really slowly or whatever. And so I guess those are the teaching times. So we're telling them, this is what we're looking for. Then we're watching to see if they actually can do it or not. And I think a lot of them can feel it. Can we dive into that? Because I definitely have underwaters on my list because right. you may say that uh, you you have some bad dolphin kickers, but at, interna- at national meets, it doesn't look like you have any bad dolphin right. kickers. And right. I think that's yeah. definitely something yeah. that um, I think coaches like myself look at your program and your success and the athletes that you've had. That's a huge key to, to a lot of the success. Right. Uh, let's dive into what you just said about not having a big dolphin kick as your first kick, because some people are taught start big and then get smaller as you approach the surface. I know mm-hmm. that was something that you know, still decade ago or more now that I was, you know, told that kind of thing. Um, And I've also, you know, uh, heard the opposite. Uh, Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say it can't be a big dolphin kick that slows you down? I'm not even saying big dolphin kick. I'm saying the speed of the dolphin kick. Got to be fast. 
Yeah. So you're coming off. I how fast you come off the wall? Five miles an hour. Let's just say you're coming off five miles, which you're not. But you're coming off five miles an hour. If you're adding a dolphin kick, that's like one mile an hour. You're going to just slow down, right? So it's it's that that push. How do I keep that? And then adding the dolphins. It's just like underwater brushstroke pullouts or pull downs, whatever you call them. Of how do you keep that going without stopping yourself? Right. It's always about timing. It is about how you start it, when you start it. I mean, I remember Allison Schmidt, she would, Bob, right before felt she needed to start her dolphin kicks right off the push because I don't know if her push was, I don't know what it was, but for her, that really worked. So with my kids, I say, but the good ones, you're going to push as hard as you can. You're going to keep gliding. Then you're going to add your dolphin kicks. And then we're struggling with the breakouts right now. And our dolphin kicks are good but we really struggle with keeping that momentum going through the breakout. I have one boy that's really good at it, uh, but the others struggle a little bit. They get caught. Is it the transition from dolphin to flutter that, that yeah. gets them? I yeah. Mean, do you, have you played around at all with what Dressel does taking the dolphin kicks through the surface? Yeah. And, and I, I we've tried it, but they are so shit. Loana, it's just like, oh, no, they've totally lost it. But it, Natalie Coughlin started that, didn't she? I think maybe you're right. I mean, she yeah. definitely had unbelievable underwater. Yeah, I think she started NC the for years. Yeah, I think, I think Dave, or I don't know if it was Terry or Dave, but someone started having her dolphin kick or someone started it. And she really started at the end of her career. She was really good at that precise moment of bringing her dolphin and that momentum keep going uh, through the breakout. But, you know, the dolphin kick is, is tough. I mean, it is hard. You're using big muscles. You're, you're, you're burning your lungs. And, you know, I'm like a backstroke. I'm telling you, most of it's underwater. And if, if you don't train like that all the time, you're not going to do it underwater. You won't be able to. So. Yeah. Can we, can we dive into that a little bit? Can you give us yeah. an example of how you integrated into practice? Cause it's one thing to just do underwaters and like say, all right, we're going to go 15 fast underwater or 25 fast underwater, whatever right. it is. But like you're saying, if you're not integrating it into your stroke and your speed and your race pace stuff, you're not going to use it in the race. How do you integrate right. the kicks into a set? I know you said earlier you wanted three kicks off the wall for a certain set. Is there always a kick count in sets or is that something specific on certain sets? So like you, uh, Garrett, we do a lot of stroke count and kick count. To me, it, it's it's vital. You know, your stroke count and kick count are going to be different in your 100 than it is 200. And um, so when we're doing it, we are, we're, what so I'll give you an example. And this wasn't for me. This is, I got from Mizzou, which I tweaked it a little bit, but Mizzou started doing this. And I have a lot of kids that have gone to Mizzou and been very successful there because our programs kind of mash, mesh together. But um, so like we're doing this on Thursday, they're going to go 175 at 200 race pace. Then they'll go 425s, dolphin kick underwater as fast as they can right after the race pace. And then they'll go a 50 race pace at 200 race pace again. So 75, 425 is underwater dolphin kick in the 50 at 200 race pace. They're going to go through that seven times. 
And, and then we'll do that for the hundred as well. So, but we always try to go race pace and now you have to go underwater dolphin kick. Cause you know, we know 2025 underwater is not that hard if that's your only set, but if you're going from a, a race pace into now 425s, that would be on 30, 25, 20, 15, and then into a race pace, it's really tough. How do you build up to that? Because I think some kids say, oh my gosh, a 25 underwater, if it's something that they haven't done a, enough times, you know, especially at that point, a lot of them are coming up and taking a breath and then sometimes going right. back down. Um, sometimes I like, we'll add, you know, to the interval, but 30, 25, 20, that's a pretty tight interval still right. when you're doing that. Um, right. I, I guess I'm just wondering how you get, got to that point. It's just something that's just integrated into the progression with your younger coaches right. too. Well, you know, and I always say, take a breath. I never, I never yell at them if they're taking a breath because I don't want them. I said, it's, I don't want blackout. I don't want anything like that. Take a breath. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're, I would prefer them taking a breath after the 15 meters, but they do have to go back down after they take a breath. My, my great dolphin kickers, they don't take any breaths. They just don't do it. Right. Cause their dolphin kicks in a hundred back could be 10, 13, 13, 13 for a girl or 10, 12, 12, 12. Right. So they have to train where they can't take a breath. Yeah. That's exactly what I was kind of hitting on yeah. too. You know, like sometimes you, you want to make sure that you're you're taking care of it because it is such an important part of our our sport. Right. It's it's right. something that you absolutely have to train. But then you see all the safety videos, and with good reason, you got to be careful in that way. So yeah. that's why I was just curious how you build into it. And I think that's the perfect answer is that right. there is no shame in taking a breath. You need right. to do what you can. But like you said, like if you're really going to be good at it, the quickest way and the easy right. is to just Don't pull that streamline right. and get there. <laughs> that's exactly. Um, the last question on these underwaters, unless there's more after your answer, uh, <laughs> how, how do you teach to race them? You just said, you know, your good, your good kickers will go 10, 12, 12, 12. Sometimes right. I think when kids initially start to use their dolphin kicks, they're like 15 off the start and then 10 and then five and then none in a hundred. I try to tell them how many could you take off your last wall? you know, take that many the whole way. W what is your strategy for integrating the dolphin kicks into a race? Well, um, every Saturday they get up and do, they get suited every Saturday. So they'll get up and do it's 400. They'll either do a 75s and that's, we do a pre-meet warmup, which will be about 1500 to 2000. And uh, then they'll do either 75s or 50s. And we write it on our board. They you know they're for fly. They need kick count and stroke count. For backstroke, they need kick count and freestyle kick count, breaststroke, stroke count. And they know everyone, and they do it week after week after week till they're sick of it. But I'll tell you, it's the first year we've done it, and it's helped so much because they don't have to think when they swim. They already know what to do, right? So I'm sure you probably do similar stuff like that. Well, I'm going to try that now because <laughs> that is fantastic. I really do like that. And I think you're right. Like the more we can get them to just be on autopilot in the race, right. the better right. success we're going to have. I noticed you didn't say stroke count for backstroke. Do you, do you just focus on tempo? No stroke count for backstroke? Um, backstroke. I've always been a tempo one. 
So, uh, you know, I think tempo is really important. I have had kids where have gone way too much and they're just slipping. So I've slowed their tempo down a little bit, but it's, it's for sure 1.1 to 1.2 and hundred backstroke. Um, my, the boy, my one uh, swimmer, he's uh, probably a 1.3, which he needs to get faster. Cause when you're going into college, your backstroke tempo is pretty good, pretty fat. I mean, look at Reagan. Yeah. Right. Ray, you know, Ray, her tempo is, and she can hold that for a whole 200. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, so yes, I, we do more stroke uh, tempo trainers with backstroke. Yeah. I think you're talking about Luke, right? Luke. Yep, that's, I Luke mean, Luke. he got second at junior, so I think he'll yep. be okay in college, but I, yeah, completely, I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I just kind of looked at those results because I didn't want to in any way, you know, pigeonhole you as just a backstroke coach because right. you've had success in all the strokes great right. iamers uh -huh. um obviously rachel kind of right. leads that as a, a right. backstroke and a gold medalist in the stroke but if you look through even like you know results from this year's juniors it's just a ton of success in backstroke mm -hmm. and i'm curious if that has anything to do with your success as a backstroker as because that was your specialty or if that's mm -hmm. just a coincidence well I, I don't know. I really don't. I have, that's a, it's a question I don't have the answer for. I mean, we've had kids on national junior team and national team in two strokes is all breaststroke and backstroke, nothing else. Never had a freestyler on the national team or a junior na national junior team. Never had an IMer. It's been all breaststrokers or backstrokers. So to me, that looks like, Hmm. Then we have a deficiency in fly. I am and free, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's much deficiency in your program. Well. <laughs> um, one of the other things, and this is just through deck talk um, that I've heard that you do very well with the Aqua Jets is dry land. Um, mm -hmm. did, is that something that you did as a swimmer at all? No. Dry how, land. how did you get introduced <laughs> to dry land and when did it become such a priority for you? It is uh, Lisa Whitmer, who was with us a long time ago. She has since um, left Aqua Jets because her kids are, you know, graduated from college. So uh, she uh, brought in a dry land program with Leah, who's who who's my right and left hand person on the pool deck, uh, brought in a dry land program and it was incredibly successful. When they left, Leah became a swim coach on the pool deck. We're rebuilding it again. So is it great? It's it's getting better. So yeah, after COVID, it kind of shut down. Yeah, the, the time opportunities and yep. even just, you know, the space to be able to do that really changed through COVID. But at this point, how many days a week are you doing dry land? Well, our kids will go three days a week. Yeah, they'll go three days a week. And our dry land is right across the hall. We are in an old factory. So we're really, we, we've got a massive dry land uh, space, which helps so much. It really does. Would you mind sharing like your weekly progression? Usually, for example, for our three days of dry land, we go, you know, it's legs both days, but it's push exercises one day, pull exercises one day. And then our third day is just yoga. So it's a little bit of everything um, after Saturday practice. Um, would you mind sharing kind of what that weekly cycle for dry land looks like for you? That would be so great if I could share it. But guess what? I am, I, my dry land coaches do their dry land. 
So uh, my uh, the the other the because of the big kids, a lot of them go to private people that Rachel Bootsman went to. So it's the same guy. So I send them to him. And so he knows he gets in contact with me of what they do. Uh, our dryland program, we're building it for this next group that's coming up. And, but I have not, a, I not a clue what, you know, the one thing, the way I coach or being the head coach, if they, if I put him in charge of dryland, they are in charge of dryland, unless I'm seeing something, if I see something, I talk to them right away. But if I'm not, they're in charge of it. We'll go for the go. If they're in charge of a junior group, I let them totally be in charge of it. Unless a parent talks to me or I see something again, and I let them know right away. So they really are their own entity, yet we're the power of the team because I've hired them for a reason, because I trust them. And so I let them be creative. That's artistic coming out, right? Because... I, they're not following what I do. We have a theme a week and we have, we have a, because our values are happy, humility, accountability, perseverance, integrity, and empathy. And then we have a swim theme a week. So this week it's about kicking. So the whole team, if you're six years old, up to 20 years old, you're going to be on the same thing, but our workouts are all very different. And our coaches do an incredible job in their own creative way. So all the kids, when they go through a program, they have different coaches and we're not doing the same thing. It's fantastic management. And I want to kind of dive in and dissect happy next, but my last dry land question then, or oh, can I ask you too, you do it <laughs> before or after practice? After for sure. Our, our 11, 12, 13 year olds do it before okay. just because of time. But yeah, for the seniors, it's always after. And then my last question, does it start at 11? Is that when dryland is introduced through the uh, nine and 10, nine and 10. What are the nine yeah. and 10 year olds doing for dryland? Oh, just having a great time. It's really about athleticism, just walking, jumping, playing music, you know, that kind of stuff. He does a great job with the young people. We have two different dryland coaches. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's move on to culture a little bit. Um, okay. And I guess at the, at the foundation of it, um, one of the things that's in your bio, and I think it's probably something that plays a role in how you're able to build culture throughout the team, is that you're the board chair. Um, so does that mean that you kind of are your own boss in that way? And how does that kind of play into, you know, your ability to control the culture of the team? Um, I'm, I don't think I'm much of a control freak for sure. And, and I have a, I'm a voting member on the board and, you know, they put the fancy title there, but it really means nothing. I've got a great board. Um, it's, it's great because we get to, to, to make sure we have the right people and the people that understand the vision of Aqua Jets and want to increase and build it, not for their kids sake, but for the community's sake. So I think that's a really important thing. Uh, you know, a board kills coaches when you have a bad one, when you have a great one, it just can inspire. So um, my board is incredible a group of people and they're, they're basically business people. They're all, I've always had a board of uh, business people because it is a business, right? Um, also, I have 
never wanted to get incentives if my swimmers do well. I think it's a terrible thing that a board would do to a coach. And I think it's a terrible thing for a coach. My board asked if I wanted it. And I said, no, because it gets into muddy waters. And I just think those incentives become your incentives and not what the kids, you know, I understand we're underpaid. I feel I'm paid well, but we're underpaid. And so um, I just don't like incentives like that. I, I think it's, it's hard on the kids because ultimately the kids do feel it. If you think, you know, you get more money if they go to nationals or not. So um, other than that, the coaches are kind of their own entity. I get to hire and fire coaches and the board can hire or fire me. Got it. Yeah. I think you just touched on something pretty important. You know, it's just at the, at the root of our job, it's not about our success. It's about right. other people's success. So that's, I right. think that's, that's a really good piece of advice for, I think, especially coaches who are trying to create a long-term vision and a long-term right. culture for their team. Um, I heard you say to Chris Plum on the off deck podcast that you wanted your team to be like a high school team. And I was just curious what that means exactly. You know, high school team, there's nothing like a high school team. In our minds, you can never get it, but they always have a bigger purpose, right? They're doing it for their school. And we have power over the team because I do want it to be, you know, that these are going to be some of their best friends. I mean, some of my past generations who are married, have kids, they're still their best friends are Aquajet, their Aquajet buddies. That is my goal, right? That is, that's what I'm looking for that these are long-term relationships they have with their teammates. Um, are we always successful? No, but that's when I say I want it like a high school team in that sense of a way. In no other sense of the way do I want it like a high school team at all, but with just being together as a group, working together, knowing a, a community is better than an individual. That's the most important. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's the the part of high school swimming that makes it redeemable is that, you know, peer recognition, doing it for your school, being able right. to get that, you know, recognition as being great at something from the people that you go to school at that just think of you as swimming and they don't really understand it. So there's definitely, right. like you're saying, a bigger purpose. Yeah. Really like your, your vision with happy humility, accountability, perseverance, integrity, and empathy. And I want to dive into two of those. How do you build humility and confidence at the same time? Well, I think, you know, isn't humility is, it's not like, oh, I'm not that good, you know, blah, blah. That's not humility. It's just, it, it's, I think it's just, I, I humility is when a swimmer goes up to an official and say, you know, thank you so much for doing this for free, right? That's humility to me. Thank you for DQing me, but you, that you're doing, you're volunteering to do this. That's to me as a humility. That's what I want to see in our swimmers, right? That's the most important thing to me. And um, confidence is that which kids have very low confidence nowadays, but um, to know that they can do it, that if they could just see through our eyes where we think they could be, oh my goodness, just to give them a vision of what we see in them, man. They'd be confident anyway. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. I also think, and this was just in my own head, that you 
you know, really put a good example in front of them every day, because, you know, with your results, you have every right to be confident, but at the same time, you're very humble. I mean, at the very beginning talking about, you know, your, your, how your kids would describe you, you didn't want to really talk about that. So you have this really good ability to balance those two things. So I think that's a good thing too. My other question with happy is about empathy. Cause I think mm-hmm. it's something that's so important. And I think the pandemic showed it more than anything. There were so many different, um, you know, things that came through the pandemic that kind of, you know, screamed for a need for more empathy in this world. And as coaches, I mean, I like to think of us as, you know, catalysts to ripple effects. And if we want more mm-hmm. empathetic people in the world, we have a chance to influence them, even if it's just 20 to 30 kids at a time, but mm-hmm. that really can create a ripple effect. How do you try to build empathy within your athletes? I mean, that is a really, I'm not naturally empathetic. I really am not naturally empathetic, but actually one of my coaches came up to me, Megan Hawker came up to me and she said, I think we need to add E after COVID during COVID we added the E the empathy. And she was so, so right of, of what, you know, guess what kids go through or what anybody goes through to understand there's always another side of the story to understand that they're acting or reacting because of something that's probably happened. Right. And I think that empathy is so needed in our world today. Oh my goodness. And like you said, if we can just influence 20 to 30, how wonderful that would be. So it is a big thing to be empathetic, to understand and to, I have one coach that's absolutely the most empathetic person I've ever met my whole life. Uh, And it's hard to be empathetic because you feel so deeply, right? Um, uh, And, you know, it is. I mean, when they weep, she weeps. When they laugh, she's going to laugh, right? But I think that's what we need. Awesome answer. Um, I I guess uh, let's start with how you talk about your staff quite a bit. Um, how are you consistently communicating with that staff? Because I know that you said, and I think that's the perfect answer for managing, is that you're giving them their own sandbox to be creative. Because I think that's what we all want as coaches, our, our own thing that we can kind of do the way we want to, the way we envision. And a great manager hires great people and lets them do their job, doesn't micromanage them. But at the same time, there still has to be a sense of community, a sense of togetherness. H- how do you communicate um, AKA manage your coaches? Well, you know, again, we are unique because we all coach in the same place. So I get to see them every day, right? They're all on the pool deck. So we have an eight lane pool, six feet past. We have a five lane pool, go through a door. We have a four lane pool. So we're all there all the time. And, and we also have a zoom meeting every Monday and, uh, uh, we go through an agenda and that was all started because one of the coaches said, you do not communicate with us. So I thought, oh, you're right. So I started because a coach said, you need to start communicating. And so, you know, we're on the pool deck. To me, that was enough communication, but we put it out a newsletter for coaches. We put out a newsletter for parents. And so we go through what we need to talk about and all those sorts of things. So, and if that, that's the thing, if there's, if there's anything that's needed, hopefully I, I think they feel free to call me, right? And talk to me on the pool deck and that kind of stuff. So um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know how I, I'm not a really good manager to be honest. I mean, we just try to be, have fun and enjoy each other. We do enjoy each other as a coaching staff. That does help so much. I mean, a lot of these coaches I've coached, so you can imagine, you know, nobody can see, but I am 63. So, <laughs> but yeah, I coached a lot of these coaches. Yeah. I think that speaks to the way that you manage people. Uh-huh. I, I think right. that that kind of leadership, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, the micromanaging um, and the fact that you're humble and growth minded enough to say, right. okay, yeah, you're right. We do need to communicate more and make right. those changes is awesome. When you say the newsletter, sorry, I'm asking for myself as much as right. anyone. Cause I think communication with the team is, is tricky. Um, right. How often are you doing the newsletter and is that your responsibility? Oh no, I can, if you ask me to write, I'm an art major. Hello. We don't <laughs> use words, right? So Aaliyah, my right and left-hand person, she is incredible. She as she's a journalist major. So she's really good at, at putting it down. So every week they get it every Tuesday, coaches and parents get a, a, a she calls it an e-newsletter and it will just go meet deadlines. But for coaches, who's, who's coaching at this meet? What's the session? I do that stuff, but give her that information. She puts it all on email and it's sent to all the coaches. It's fantastic. Yeah. Everybody needs a Leah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the last big topic that I really have is, you know, it's a question that's a, it's a little bit tricky, but I'm just going to get straightforward with it and ask okay. how has being a female impacted your coaching career? I don't think that's tricky. I, um, well, I just, as a white male, I don't, you know, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't have any perspective on it and I'm very, you know, curious from your perspective, you know, how that's, how that's impacted. And I'm curious, you know, like you say that you sometimes are mean or sometimes yell or anything. Is that, you know, is that an, uh, a product of it? I, I guess I'm just curious how it's. I, happened. you know, I think I really have never, I don't really think about it, to be honest with you. I, Sue Chen and I have talked about this prior. I don't think and go, I mean, like when I go on trips for USA swimming, 90% of the time, I'm the only female coach. But that means I get my own room. I mean, like, how great is that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I don't really, I I haven't felt it because I, I am an introvert. And so I can, I'm very happy if I'm not, you know, hanging with the coaching staff. I don't care. I'll go take a hike. I'm really happy taking a hike, right? I just took a hike today. I'm going to take another one. So I really, I'm kind of easy going in that way. I'm kind of a happy person. I wake up pretty happy to be honest. So being a female coach, I mean, I I'm sure it's different, but I don't know anything diff- different than being a female coach. Have you noticed <laughs> any change throughout your career? Like seeing more and more female coaches on deck, maybe. Um, maybe a few more head coaches, but you know, Garrett, this is a tough job to have a family. I'm single. I just, I couldn't imagine doing this and it would be a really tough job weekends and traveling and everything else. It's, it's tough to have a family and to be a coach. So, you know, yeah, I'm not saying it's the best career in the whole world. I love it. I I wouldn't change it for anything, but it's not, you're gone a lot. 
Yeah, I completely uh, can relate. I love the job. I also, you know, love my family and it's like, there's no perfect balance. There's only guilt. Right. One way or another, you're kind of coming up short (laughs) on, on one side or another with most of the decisions that you make. So I think that's very astute. And yeah, I think there's stuff like that for anybody, not just people with families. And I know Mm -hmm. you said that you like to go for a hike and Um, I also read in your bio that you've, you know, tried all sorts of different sports. I guess I'm curious, you know, and you have your art as well. What kind of things do you do uh, to take care of Kate? What kind of things uh, do you do for self-care? Oh, um, I take a, you know, I have a puppy that's self-care right there. And uh, so I I do do a lot of walking, hiking outside because I, I live by a, a park, which is miles and miles, acres and acres of she's free and deer and, you know, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, hiking right there across my street. So um, I do that. And I, I'm, I really do like playing golf. I, I, I play golf a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Nature and golf. I think those yeah. are great things that, you know, coaches who are struggling with that balance can really kind of take away and say, all right, if Kate has time for those things, I can make time too. (laughs) And I think that's an important piece of this. So Kate, I really appreciate this. I've learned so much. um, And I think a lot of the coaches who listen to this will as well. Um, Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for caring when I almost slipped and cracked my head. You did a great job. I'm serious. Very athletic. (laughs) And best of luck uh, going into the rest of this season. You too. Thanks, Garrett. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.